Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. study on Isaiah as we have been without looking at Isaiah 53. 
And it speaks of the suffering servant. The one that God was sin to deal with sin, to deal with the issue of sin. You know, there's no sensible person in all of history could deny that the one fact sticks out more obviously than the other, and that something that something is wrong with the world. All you have to do is look around. You can see that even man's part in it is seriously wrong. There's pain, there's suffering, calamity, death, injustice, frustration, and of course many other problems that preclude the idea that the human situation is anywhere near ideal. The, the big difference of opinion is about exactly what is wrong and how it got that way and what, if anything, is the solution. Well, today's message here from Isaiah will answer those three questions. And they're very direct and simple. Sin is what is wrong. The cause was and still is man's turning from God to his own way. The only solution is the vicarious atoning death of God's Savior, Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah. Without Him, we have no hope. Without His sacrifice, we have no redemption. It's through Christ, the suffering servant, that you and I find life. Before we begin, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Lord, to be with your people, to be in your presence. Lord, as we look into your eternal word today, Father, your word is life, it is truth. It is just that your word to us. Lord, open our understanding, our minds and our hearts. Lord, help us to see and to know those things that you want us to see and to know. Give us hearing ears and seeing eyes, Lord. Let the fruit that you so desire be born in each of us. And Father, I thank you for that. Holy Spirit, have free reign in this place. Anoint me your servant to proclaim your word in Jesus' name. Everyone say it. Amen. Amen. There was a book written some years ago. It's called, I'm Okay, You're Okay. It was by Thomas A. Harris. And he was a psychiatrist. And it sold millions of copies. The basic contention of the writer is that man's root problem is the mistaken view that he is not okay. But rather he's okay. Man is okay. You know, that philosophy was fairly novel in our world, in our society some 40 years ago. But it's already taken root today. Go to many churches today and what do you hear? You're okay. We're okay. Everybody's okay. God loves you just like you are. Stay the way you are. Is that a biblical concept? Is that what Christianity teaches us? You know, if you read Thomas Harris' book, you'll learn you're okay morally and spiritually just like you are. It's just a misunderstanding. Harris quotes Paul Tillich, who seems to be his favorite theologian about people who believe that God's grace is the willingness of a divine king and father to forgive over and over the foolishness and weakness of his subjects and his children. We must reject such a concept of grace, he says, for it's merely a childish destruction of human dignity. 
This bestseller completely repudiates biblical teaching. The teaching that man's sin and his need for salvation God provides through the suffering and death of his son. You and I are not okay. You need to get that in your head. I need to get, I, I understand that. We're not okay. We're sick. We need salvation. Just look around at the world and you can see the world needs what Jesus is offering. Now we'll look at three major points today. And the third point has five subtitles on there, so bear with me. I won't take you long, but I want you to listen. We're going to read a lot of scripture today from Isaiah 52 and 53. And I'm not going to comment as much as I normally do. I'm going to let God's word just speak for itself. You should be familiar with these scriptures as a believer in Christ. They should be incorporated into your spirit, into your mind as as second nature. And they're the most powerful scriptures in the Bible. Now what I want you to understand the backdrop. We've been through 51 chapters already over several weeks. And we get, we're now at the place, this is the focal point, not only of Isaiah's ministry and prophecy, this is the focal point of the entire Bible right here today. This is important. Isaiah was caught up to heaven, chapter 6, saw God's glory, was commissioned by God himself to preach to a stubborn and disobedient people, who would not hear him. He did that duty faithfully. He discharged his call. Israel was judged. Judah was judged ultimately. That's kind of where we're at here. Judah is in a, a bad way. God's total displeasure was upon them. Their, their country was taken away from them. It seemed like the promises of God that He had given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the prophets before was all over. It's, it's done. But God was saying, no, it's not done. I am sovereign. I am in control. Though you have failed to live up to your end of the covenant, I am faithful. Hallelujah. You go to the back of the book, Jesus is called the faithful and true. Hallelujah. He is the one. He stands faithful. We've talked several times about God having a remnant in each generation. Somebody say amen. amen. I plan to be a part of that remnant. I believe I am. Hello. You need to be a part of that remnant. The whole goes in the wrong direction. The remnant will still follow God no matter what. And God was encouraging the remnant. How many know that when Israel was destroyed, Judah was destroyed, God saw to it, we know this historically, that there was a remnant under Nehemiah years later who would go back and rebuild Jerusalem. <clears throat> and then 600 years after Isaiah prophesied, we're going to look at prophecy today. Somebody say amen. amen. Prophecy. Not in the idea you think of prophecy as an end time event, though it's there, clearly. It, it, these were prophecies concerning Jesus the Messiah. These were the most detailed prophecies in the entire Bible given to us by Isaiah about Jesus. And what Jesus would do specifically for us. Not just for Israel, yes, them, but also for all the nations of the world. For you and I. These are prophecies given to us by God. And they were fulfilled, my friend. We now look back on that as a fact to a T. Somebody say amen. To a T. Perfectly fulfilled. 
And interspersed among these are prophecies concerning a future restoration of Israel and a return of this king to set up a kingdom. Somebody say amen. We're going to look at those things. Now the first one we want to look at is the coming Redeemer. In Isaiah chapter 52, we have these words beginning in verse 1. Wake up! Wake up! Think God's trying to say something? Who do you holler wake up to? I got up this morning, got a shower, breakfast, go over my lesson, and I had to go holler to her. Wake up! You got an hour to get ready. Wake up! Why did I have to say wake up? She was sleeping. God's people were sleeping in Isaiah's day. They were asleep. You think people today would spiritually be asleep? Huh? I'm not even going to answer that question. That's so obvious. Come on now. God's telling them to wake up. Now look, He says, put on your beautiful garments. Jerusalem, the holy city. It was a city that was just destroyed. What's Isaiah? He must be crazy. What's Isaiah prophesying for them to wake up and put on their holy garments? The, 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 the city's laying in ruins. It's waste. We've been taken over by the Assyrians. It's gone. Oh, but he's prophesying. Wake up. Who's he prophesying to? A future generation. He's talking to human beings who, who, who would hear that call over time. And, 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 and in, in a future time, Israel will wake up. Somebody say amen. amen. They will put on their garments. You know, the church is likened to a bride. Israel's called the wife of Jehovah. The church is called the bride of Christ. Well, we're invited to a wedding. Come on now. Amen. When the bridegroom comes for his bride, we're told, we're told to put on our garments. Who gives us the garments to put on? The bridegroom, Jesus. We're to put on our garments. He's coming for a bride without spot or... Amen. We're to put on our wedding garments and be ready for the marriage of the Lamb. Oh, hallelujah. He's telling them to be decked out in all their... What, what, what does the Bible tell us our wedding garments are? The righteous acts of the saints. God gives us the ability to live and serve Him. And as we live and serve Him, we're clothing ourselves with our wedding garments. We're preparing ourselves to meet Him and to be with Him. Hallelujah. And He's telling the city, He says, The uncircumcised and the unclean will no longer enter you. Oh, hallelujah. See, they were overrun by the Gentiles. Why? Again, because of their disobedience to their God and their sin. And he's telling them, stand up, shake the dust off yourself. Take your seat, Jerusalem. Remove your bonds from your neck, captive daughter of Zion. For this is what the Lord says, you were sold for nothing and you will be redeemed without silver. Hallelujah. God said, I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to buy you back from slavery. But it's not going to be with gold or silver. As we read on, we'll see what it, what it took to redeem Israel. We'll see what it cost God to redeem them, to bring them back. But here He's telling them, He's declaring to them to shake the dust off of themselves, to rise up, and to put on their beautiful garments. They've been held captive. You know, sin will put you in prison. Sin will hold you down. It'll keep you down. It'll cap keep you captive so that you cannot live or serve for God. You only serve. He that serves sin is a servant of sin. You're a slave. 
God says, I don't want you to be a slave. Israel, I don't want you to be a servant of unrighteousness, a servant of wickedness, of sin and evil. I want you to serve Me. Somebody say Amen. God wants us to serve Him. He says, For without... For this is what the Lord God says. At first, my people went down to Egypt to live there. The Assyria came and, and oppressed them without a cause. So now what have I? The Lord's declaration that my people are taken away for nothing. It's rulers wail. The Lord's declaration and my name is continually blasphemed all day long. And, you know, we, do we live in a society like that today? Where God's name is blasphemed all day long. It's blasphemed among people to go to church for crying out loud. Come on now. God is saying this is not going to go on forever. This is going to change. He said, therefore my people, look verse 6, will know my name. Therefore they will know on that day, notice that word, that day, that I am He who says, here I am. Here I am. The beautiful Savior. Oh, hallelujah. The coming Redeemer right here. Here I am. One day, that day, Christ will return. His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. And His people will say, and He'll say to them, Here I am. Here I am. Hallelujah. hallelujah. The time has come. Game's over. I'm here. I am here right now. Let's go. Let's move. Are you going to be what? Are you watching for Him? Are you ready for Him? God is telling Israel to get ready. That was 2,600 years ago. They're still in darkness. They're still in blindness. They're still not obeying Him. But in spite of their disobedience, God's plan is moving forward. He's brought them back into land. Uh, they're making rep preparations for... Uh, they just recaptured Jerusalem's Temple Mount. Somebody say amen. amen. They're talking about rebuilding a new temple. God is moving through a remnant. Come on now. He's coming. And Isaiah speaks of a coming Redeemer. Now do you know this was given 2,600 years ago to a nation, to a people. And I'm going to tell you something right here. These prophecies will be fulfilled. Exactly as He says they will. Now I'm going to give you some encouragement here because the very next prophecies we're going to look at, the remainder of Isaiah we're looking at today, you have no doubt it's been, it's been accomplished if you're a Christian. And if God accomplishes these scriptures, just like He said He would, all the ones that have not yet been fulfilled, you can be assured they're going to be fulfilled the same way. Perfectly. I don't know about you, but I have confidence in God's Word. I believe what He says, and I believe He says what He means. Come on. He's a coming Redeemer. He's also a beautiful Redeemer. Verse 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the herald who proclaims peace. Now I'm reading from the Holman translation today. If you have the King James, bear with me. It's a little different language used. Words are chosen a little differently. Uh, it says good news. That means gospel in the Hebrew. How beautiful are the feet on the mountains are those who bring good news, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. The voices of your watchmen, they lift up their voices shouting for joy together. And every eye will see when the Lord returns to Zion. How many know God is coming back? Jesus is returning and He's going to return to Zion. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And He said everyone's going to shout. 
The people of God are going to shout. Now he's declaring this to a people who just lost their whole nation. And to them, the Jewish people, they must have thought he was insane. But isn't that how God is? The Bible says He declares those things that are not as though they were. You see, who is writing history? Who's the author of history? It's His story. He is the one in control. He's the one in charge. He allows men, He allows angels to do things even contrary to His will because ultimately, ultimately, His will is going to be done. And here He's declaring to us His will that Israel is going to be restored. Israel, His covenant people on earth are going to be redeemed. And He's telling us that you and I will see as we go along, have a part in that. We have a part in God's plan. And it's a big part. Oh, hallelujah. But God makes promise and He doesn't renege on His promise. I mean, things don't always go like we planned for them to go, church. Come on. This was a dark time in, in, a, in a nation's history. But God was shining a light and proclaiming things to anyone who would listen, to whoever would hear. He was encouraging them. All is not lost. All is not gone. You know, we can look around at the world we're in today, and I see darkness covering many, much of the people in our world. I see darkness covering church people in the world. It, 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 it grieves me. It saddens me. But I also know His Word. He is true. He is faithful. He will do what He says. And I can trust in Him. I know the ultimate outcome is going to be good. It's going to be yea and even so be it. Hallelujah. He is going to have His way. And my God is going to come He's going to bless me. He's going to bless me. He's going to lift me up. He's going to elevate me. And I'll no longer be sad. I'll no longer be burdened. I'll no longer worry. I'll just trust in Him. Why not right now? Somebody say amen. amen. Why not right now when he, tells, when he tells us the end from the beginning? He says He's redeemed Jerusalem. He's comforting His people. He's displayed His holy arm, His strength in the sight of all the nations. All the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Everyone's going to see it. You know, God is about ready to, be, to move on behalf of His covenant people Israel. Do you know that? Have you been following what's going on in the world culturally? You've been really listening to the real news? You know, the real news is not what what did Donald Trump tweet this week? You know, what did so and so say? You know, the Russians they they that's that's called a disguise. That's called a disguise, that's a mask of what's really going on. They're trying to keep that for the people. God is doing things, man. Israel's preparing for, for their Messiah. I mean, things are shaping up to, uh, for the return of Jesus to the earth. Even the Jews who don't believe in Jesus believe the Messiah is about to come. They see the signs that were given in the Bible. We get caught up in tabloid stuff, distracting you from what's really happening. That's called the enemy. That's his tactics. We should be out proclaiming God's truth. He's getting ready to come back. He's going to set up a kingdom. God wants you to be saved. Come on now. And we're going to look at what God did to get people saved and how far He went. 
and what depths He sunk to on our behalf as we read along this suffering servant we're talking about today. He's the suffering Redeemer. Look at verse 13 of chapter 52. Isaiah says, See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many of you were appalled at, at him, his appearance, listen to this, was so disfigured that he did not look like a man. His form did not resemble a human being. Think about that. When Jesus showed up and went to the cross, as a church, we all went out, I believe it was, somebody correct me if I'm wrong, 2006? That's been 11 years ago. To watch the Mel Gibson movie, The Passion of Christ. How many remember that? That was the first time I met Dave Holstlaw. First time I met him was at the movie theater. <laughs> Eleanor's husband come. We had a little dinner firsthand, and we went out to the movie and saw the passion, and everyone was moved by the, the scenes, and it was for Hollywood standard, it was pretty gruesome, hello, when they were beating and whipping him and so forth. But do you know it really wasn't a true depiction of what took place? Now I don't know about you. When I was, I was, I had tears coming in my eyes when I was watching that. But according to the prophet, the Bible, he was beating, beaten so badly he was not even recognizable as a human being. I mean, in the movie, you still saw Jesus, you know, and it looked bad. Think about it: a cat of nine tails was a leather whip with a leather. It had glass and metal tied on the end. And he was tied to a pole and they beat him and the pieces would go into the skin and flesh and literally rip the tendons and the muscles wide open. So 39 lashes saved once. He was laid open like a piece of hamburger. His face was beaten beyond recognition. The little pictures you see in Hollywood too clean, too pretty. As bad as it may look, it was too good. He didn't even look like a human being. He was beaten up so badly. And it didn't stop at that. I mean, think about it now. He, most of us in our strength, I mean, Rod, you go back when you're 25, you're just a big old, strong old boy. You, you couldn't have took that kind of a beat. It killed you right there on the spot. Me too. No matter how bad or tough you think you were, this man took a beating beyond what human beings could take. He was supernatural. And it didn't kill him. He literally had to give his life up. They couldn't take it. He was beaten so badly. Now when I think about that, what he did, and then he says here that, look at verse 15, so he will sprinkle many nations. That word Nations in the Hebrew is goyim, meaning Gentiles. He will sprinkle. What does that mean, sprinkle? That's a strange word to be. Why would you put that in the Bible? I don't know. As Gentiles, we don't understand that. But he was being the sacrifice. He was being the sacrifice, made the sacrifice for sin. And the priesthood in Israel were instructed in the Old Testament, in the Torah, that they would take the blood from the sacrifice 
the priests. And they would sprinkle the altar to make it pure, holy. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. He was the Lamb of God. He was the blood that only God would accept on behalf of sin for human beings. And literally, the fact the priest would come out of that Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur, and he would sprinkle the people with blood from that bullock. Blood. And they would be declared before God clean. It was a type, a system God instituted of what would happen when Christ would actually come. And the Scripture says He would sprinkle many nations. Now this is a, a glimpse of Isaiah's prophecy that goes well beyond that. This, this should blow your mind. I mean, he's talking about Israel, God's covenant people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and their, that small group, that nation, who had apostatized completely, left God. All but a small remnant. And now he's talking about the Gentiles. He's going to sprinkle many nations. Those who are considered unclean by the Jew, God is through His Son is going to make clean. You and I would have no hope or chance of salvation, but Jesus didn't go to the cross just to redeem Israel. Yes, He will. Yes, He will. And He is going to. But He went to the cross. He died as a sacrifice for all mankind. For you and for me. He did it for us. As we move along, we'll see something very powerful here. But he's going to sprinkle many nations. Now look what it says here. This is powerful. Kings will shut their mouths because of him. Think about that. For they will see what they have not been told. And they will understand what they had not heard. What? When he appears, when he shows up. They're going to say, This is, I can't believe this. This is Jesus Christ. Himself. Kings are going to be just completely dismayed. I believe we have a president. I believe he's safe. I believe if the rapture happens today, he's coming with us. Come on. <laughs> but old Donald Trump, he's going to be dismayed when he sees Jesus. He's going to blow his mind. Speechless. Speechless. Can't tweet that you, you, you think the, the, the those that oppose him and his agenda, the Obamas of the world, the ones who pushing all the false narratives, and they, what are they going to say? They're going to quake in their boots, man. Because they are going to see him. I believe it's our generation. We are that generation. And, and that's what Isaiah is pointing towards the coming of the Messiah. The coming of the Messiah. Now he goes back and forth. And the, these are prophecies, as you'll see. Prophecies. How many know some prophecies are yet to be fulfilled? We haven't seen it yet. Some prophecies took place and were fulfilled. We can look back at that. And here we're going to go back and forth. Now look what he says here. Of course, he says they hadn't even been told what, what all things he got. You know, people don't know about God, do they? In the world. It's all plain. But have you know, maybe what I'm telling you today is something new to you. That's okay. As long as you get it. Amen. That's, that's cool. That's nothing wrong with that. I had to hear it for the first time. 
When I heard Jesus died on the cross for my sins 40 years ago, it was a novel thing. I'm like, what? All the Christians and they took that for granted. I'm like, what? He died for me. It became personal. And He became my personal Savior. <laughs> when I understood. And here the world is going to understand at some point when it converts, time and eternity will converge. God's prophetic plan is unfolding. Now we're going to see here uh, this suffering Redeemer. And uh, we'll look at uh, that He was a rejected person. You know, we think about heroes and people that are have accolades of the world and, and that are the, the famous, the rich and famous. Remember that show used to come on? The Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. And all the poor people tune in like, yeah, one day I'll have some of that, you know. God's got better things in store for you than that, man. Come on. Isaiah 53, and that's where we're going to close out in that chapter there. And 52 was just kind of setting us up for that. He's talking about Jesus. This is Jesus, God's Son. He had not yet been born in a manger in Israel to Joseph and Mary. Uh, he had not made, it, made an appearance on the scene. This was 600 years before Jesus. Before his birth. Now think about it. How old is the United States? It isn't even 300 years old. Think about George Washington's day. How different it would have been, right? 300 years ago? The culture, the way they lived. Now take 300 more years and put on top of that. Go way back into the Middle Ages. How different that would have been. King Arthur and the Knights at a round table here. We're talking a whole... This is the difference between Isaiah and Jesus' day. 600 years. Let's read what happened. Isaiah 53, verse 1. Who has believed our report or what we have heard? He said, if you believe this, if you believe what we've said, do you believe my prophecy Isaiah is saying? Do you believe it? I wonder who has. Who has believed it? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed to? What's the arm of the Lord mean? In the Old Testament, it always means the strength of God. When God would bear His arm, it means He shows Himself strong. It's like guys today with Arnold Schwarzenegger's and all. They do this, right? What are they showing you? They're, they're, look at them guns, man. Look at them guns. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Huh? God wants to show Himself strong on your behalf, on all His people's behalf. And He begins to talk about Jesus. He grew up before Him, notice that's a capital H, like a young plant and a root out of dry ground. This is Jesus. He came to Israel at a time when, when it spiritually was dry. Israel at the time of Jesus Christ had not heard a word from God for 400 years. God had just supposedly, seemingly abandoned them. But He hadn't. But it seemed that way. The people had gotten so far from God. When you get away from God, church, come on now. And your relationship is not tight with Him. 
you get dry. You become dry in your spirit. Your soul becomes parched. That was the climate in Israel when Jesus began and like a tender plant just shot up. Poof. There he is. He just appeared. Right out of the desert ground. There he is. Jesus. God's going to just show up on this planet for his bride one day. And it's going to be poof. There he is. Poof. They're gone. People are going to be like, what? God moves like that. He doesn't play no games. He's already told us what He's going to do. But people who has believed our report. You know, when I, Jesus is coming, you know, He might come this year. I don't believe that. Who has believed our report? Well, he just, he just making that up. He just thinks, hey, is it in the Bible? Somebody says, well, I don't really know. Well, you better look. I'm not saying anything before God that's unbiblical. I'm not going to do that. Come on. Who has believed our report? He grew up. Now look at verse, the second part of verse 2 there. He had no form or splendor that we should look at Him. No appearance that we should desire Him. Have you seen all the popular pictures of Jesus? Good-looking, handsome fellow. You know they got they pick the guys in the movies to like you know Jeffrey Hunter. Young people will be like, who's Jeffrey Hunter? You know, he was a good-looking fellow. You know, he was the original Captain Kirk before William Shatner became Captain. You know, Jeffrey Hunter, you know, good-looking fellow. Jesus gives some of us other fellows a little hope. He, he wasn't nothing special. <laughs> to look at him, he'd be just like a regular guy. You'd be like, he's the what? He had King James, he had no beauty that we would desire him. He had no comeliness. He had no attractiveness. He wasn't a good looking fellow. According to Isaiah. He was fairly ordinary. If anything, maybe on the side of a little bit on the I might say it, but he might have been a little bit on the on the ugly side alone. He's the what? There's no way he could be the this guy. You kidding me? Is that what the text says? So look what he, look, let's read on. He had no splendor of form that we should look at him. Now, how many ladies, when you see a good-looking fella go by, you know you're looking. You're like, ooh, look at that fella. There. Why? Good. Average dudes walk by, you're like, you don't even notice him. Hello? He might have been short. Uh, he might have been real super tall. He might have been lanky and lean. He might have been fat. He might have been, I don't know what he was. But he, nobody would have expected him to be the Messiah. Nobody would have been painting pictures of a guy that looked like him. <coughs> he had no appearance that we should desire him. Think about that. And then he goes on. He was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like one people turned away from. He was despised. We did not value him. You ever seen somebody or gone to school with somebody you look at me like, man, that, 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 that's, that's disgusting. 
can't, you know. He can't help it. He just holds me. He can't help himself. I'd rather not hang out with him. That's the kind of guy he, he looked like. Now, religion doesn't say that, does it? No, the pictures and all. Now, let me ask you a question. How many people see the pictures hanging in all the churches and everything? Nobody was alive when he was walking the earth drawing pictures of him. Where did they come from? They come from somebody's imagination. Hello? And you know, you've seen the most famous one that hangs in the Vatican and all that. He got like blonde, curly hair, you know, blonde, straight hair with a little... He was a Jew. He had no blonde hair, blue eyes. Come on, people. That's beside the point. Is Here he... God, isn't that like God to just trick people? I'm going to send them aside. I'm going to take human form, but I'm not going to be special enough. I'm just going to be ordinary. Now, now, now think about it. He, he, he chose his son to be born where? In the palace? In the palace with the king and the royal family and all that, right? In a barn. Oh, <laughs> yeah. The folks was uh, a poor couple, more than likely, had no money. Remember the wise men came and gave them some gold and stuff, so they had something to feed him with and everything. You know, God takes care; He knows what He's doing. Whatever we think, just God does the opposite. Now, this is clearly written right here in the Scripture, but yet folk will go out and draw paintings of Jesus, and He's this gorgeous-looking thing, and everybody, and 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 it's not biblical. But most people believe what man does, not what God says. Hello? Come on, man. But look what he does here. This is where we get... That's, that's the fact that he, he was a rejected person. He wasn't popular. How many of y'all were the popular kid in school? Huh? Were you the popular one? Oh, you got one here. He wasn't the popular one. He wasn't with the in crowd. He was rejected by people. He was despised by people. You know, I can tell you one reason why I know he was despised. Do you know, I remember when I got saved, I was a young fellow, I got saved, and I started getting around people that I used to hang around with. And I didn't talk like them, didn't act like them, didn't do what they did, and what happened? All of a sudden, they didn't like me. <laughs> hey, Jerry, let me tell you this joke I got. No, I ain't interested, man. What? So Jesus didn't have no friends in the world because they despised him. He was a righteous man. He lived for God. He understood who he was. Now let's read on here and see that uh, we'll see his vicarious suffering. That's kind of a religious word there. Vicarious. Does anybody know what that means? Vicarious suffering. I mean, that's a big part of Christianity, of the cross, of, of our salvation. Vicarious. It means this. It means in place of. In place of. Now, if you go to, it's a Latin term. If you go to Rome in the Vatican, the Pope has a throne. We all know about that. And above the throne, it has different titles. And one of the titles of the Pope of Rome is vicarious Christi. 
What does that mean? Well, in plain English, it means antichrist. Okay. <laughs> what does antichrist mean? It means in place of Christ. Why do the Roman Catholics go to Rome, bow before, kiss his ring, and kiss his feet, and bow before him? Because he claims to be Christ on the earth. He's here in place of Christ. That's why they venerate him. You see, that's a lie, hello, but that's what they believe. You understand that? Vicarious means in place of. Now, when Jesus died what we call a vicarious death. And that's what he did. It means he died and he suffered and he took your sin, your sin, my sin, in our place. He took our place in death. He took our place in judgment. He took our sin upon himself. That's what it means vicarious. And, and we'll see here exactly what he did at the cross detailed 600 years before the event actually took place. We look back on 2,000 years, and this has already happened. Thank God. Isaiah looked forward and was telling Israel, this is what you got to look forward to. Your Messiah, He's coming. Look at verse 4 of chapter 53. Yet He Himself, who is that? Jesus, the Messiah. He bore our sicknesses, carried our pains, but now he's speaking on behalf of the Israeli people. He says, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. How did the Jews regard Jesus? And to this day, how do they regard Jesus? He got what he deserved. He claimed to be the Messiah. He was a liar and an imposter. And God, Jehovah, struck him down. Because he deserved to be killed. Anyone that would come and lie about who he was deserves to be killed. He was scorned by the people of Israel. His own covenant people. Think about it. See, when they saw this ordinary man that no one desired doing miracles and things, they kind of like, oh, they kind of started to get on the bandwagon. Hello? Yeah, this guy, he might be the, you know, he's doing some things nobody's ever done. But then when he said plainly, I'm going to turn myself over and they're going to, Rome is going to get me and they're going to scourge me and they're going to crucify me. And so the man arrived on the third day. They didn't understand that. But when it happened, that week he rode into Jerusalem, Hosanna to the king, save us now, Hosanna to the king. A week later, crucify him. We'll not have this man rule over us. He's a liar, an apostle, as ugly as he is anyway. He couldn't have been a Messiah. He, he, he was a liar. The Messiah was to come and set up God's kingdom. That's what they believed. That's what they thought. That's what they were looking for. Well, sure he is. But he had to deal with your sin first before he could come back and rule over you. Hello? Amen. So he was a man who was stricken by God according to their understanding. But that's not what Isaiah says he was stricken for. Look at verse 5. He was pierced because of our transgressions. He was crushed because of our iniquities. And the punishment for our peace was on Him. We are healed by His wounds. King James says stripes. Isaiah says here's the condition of the Israeli people. 
And it's the condition of the entire human race, friend, even to this day. All we went astray like sheep. We have turned to our own way. And the Lord, that's Jehovah. I mean, you have capital L on there. Come on. That's Jehovah. Punished him, capital H on there, isn't it? That's Jesus. For the iniquity of us all. Think about that. Here he was. God in human form. Standing in our place. Being tortured. I mean, he was murdered, friend. He was beaten and, and, and scourged. And ultimately, he was hung on a cross, pierced through. Not for himself, but for you and for me. And for Israel, his people who hated him. Think about that for a minute. You're a good man. I would, I would, I might, I might die for Roger. I might take a bullet for him. If I, I might step in front. I might. I don't know. I might. Come on, Roger. You might step in front of one with somebody, right? But would you step in front of somebody who hated your guts, who didn't like you? I don't think I would either. But Jesus did. Think about that. Hey, he's in a whole other class than we are. And I don't know. Maybe when the when the live thing comes down, Rod, I might I might even, I might run and not not stand up for you. I don't know. <laughs> I would hope I do the right thing. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm just being honest. I'm being honest. You might too. I don't know. Self preservation might kick in. I don't know. But Jesus didn't didn't, didn't succumb to that. He he took the brunt of what was meant for you. On himself. See, a holy God demands justice for sin. The wages of sin is what? Death. He said, I can't. And that's eternal death. There's physical death first, then eternal hellfire forever. And he said, Look, I'm going to step in between the judgment. I'm going to take that judgment on me. So you don't have to have it. That's what he was doing. All the while, people were mocking. We got other scriptures that corroborate. They were mocking him as he was on. He could save others. Let's see him save himself. Come on down from that cross if you're the Son of God. Can you imagine that? That, uh, One account said a dog went up and peed on him. Hello? Others say they, 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 they just spit on him. And he didn't look well. Let's read on here. We'll see the rejected person of Jesus. Verse 7. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. But he did not open his mouth. You know, brother, I'm going to tell you something. Somebody come out and start railing on me. I got way too much redneck in me to just sit there and not say nothing. Especially if I'm right. You said, what? Let me straighten you out right now. With a barrage of words, I'm going to just lay on you right now. You better just curl your hair right up. But what does Jesus do? He opened not His mouth. He opened not His mouth. 
coming out of his mouth. He was oppressed and afflicted, but he was like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like a sheep silent before her shearers. He did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And who considered his favor? Who considered his favor? Did anybody care what was happening to him when he went to the cross? I'm sure his mother did. I'm sure a few faculty members did. Most people were regarding him as a, you can get what you deserve, man. You walk around telling people you're some kind of prophet and messiah, and you just nobody, you nothing. You need to be beat up and beat on. You're getting, you, you need to, everything coming to you is due you. He didn't say nothing. He just took it. Why was he taking it? Why was he doing that? Why didn't he defend it? Why didn't, you know, remember the disciples early, he said, look, I, I got to go. I mean, I could call 12 legions of angels. They'd be right here and set me free. But he didn't do nothing. He just took the brunt. And ultimately, who was the one punishing him? Was it was it just wicked man? Was it the Jewish leadership, the Sanhedrin, the high priest? Was it uh, Pilate and the Roman governor? Was it... Who really... Who really laid it on Jesus? Who really put put the smack down on him? And, and no one was there considering his fate. They just, oh, he's dead, he's gone. Good riddance. He's an ugly dude anyway. We don't need to get around people like that, you know, claiming to be a Messiah. Nobody thought about him. But you know what? He thought about you. He thought about you. That's why he did it. Let's read on and see something here. This is amazing. He was cut off, second part of verse 8, from the land of the living. He died. He was cut off from the land of the living. That harkens back to Daniel chapter 9, saying that the Messiah would appear on such and such a date. And if you go back and do the math, it was the exact day that Daniel predicted that Jesus would come over 600 years earlier. That would be uh, 33 A.D. on that Passover that He would die. And Daniel said He would be cut off. The Messiah will be cut off. But not for Himself, Daniel said, for the people. Think about it. Is that the Holy Ghost? And here that. Uh, Isaiah said the same thing. He was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. They made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man at his death. Although he had done no violence and he had not spoken deceitfully. He did no wrong. He was an innocent man put to death. No ordinary man. Oh no. Why no ordinary man? He was God in human flesh. Now you see, he had to be God. He had to be God. But he did have to be man as well. He had to be man who was righteous. Do you know that every man that dies, and every man will die, male or female, deserves to be dead. 
by biblical account. You know why? We're born with a sin nature. We're born defective. Something's wrong. Remember my introduction. Something's not right. We all know that. Sin is what's wrong. And eventually it manifests itself, sometimes not as badly as others, but uh, it's sin is sin. One sin is enough to, to condemn you to death. But God didn't want to leave you in that situation. So His Son came. He took human form. And He took your place in judgment. And the reason He could take your place and suffer death for you and suffer God's judgment for upon your sin on Himself, the only way He could do that is because He was God. No ordinary man could have done that. None had ever lived righteous and were spotless. When he went into the lower part of the earth, when he gave up the Spirit, death had no right to claim him or hold him. They, death had taken him illegally. It had no claim. Therefore, he said, if I lay my life down, I can pick it back. Somebody said, well, the Holy Ghost had to come down and bring life. No, he, he picked his own life up. He didn't need any help. <laughs> he did it. He did it all. He did it for the Father. But he did it for you. And he did it for me. Thank you, Jesus. Vicarious death. And the atoning death. says here that it was his people's rebellion. They made his grave with the wicked. Now that's a prophecy. How many know that he was buried in a rich man's tomb? His name was Joseph of Arimathea. And, and did you know the people in Isaiah, they didn't know that was a prophecy. Do you know how many prophecies are going to be fulfilled at the second coming of Christ that we don't even know are prophecies until after it happens? The Bible is prophetic in nature. The words on the page are life. They're prophetic. They're true. They were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Lastly, we'll see His eternal reward. And I want you to read this verse and, and let it sink into your spirit. Weigh the gravity of this Scripture here in Isaiah chapter 53 verse 10. Yet the Lord, how many have capital L in their Bible? That means Jehovah, God the Father. Jehovah was revealed by Jesus to be the Father. So God the Father was pleased to what? Crush him, or King James says bruise him. Crush him. Who crushed Jesus? Who, who put Jesus there? Sin did. But who punished him? Who was the one who poured out wrath upon him? What do you think about that for a moment? Well, you know, Pilate, remember when Pilate stood there and, and, and he said, Who are you? Are you the Son of God? Jesus didn't answer much, did he? But then finally he, he was put on the spot and he said, Well, you said it. Blasphemy, the high priest said. Pilate, I 
can't find no wrong. I'm going to wash my hand. I, there's no fault in this man. I can't find no wrong with him. If you want to kill him, go ahead. I'll, I'll, I'll turn him over to you. <laughs> what did he tell Pilate? He said, you have no power. He, he said, don't you realize, Jesus, he said, don't you realize who I am? i got the power to save your life or kill you, man. What did Jesus say? There's no power except for God. He said, the only thing you've got is what God's given you. One day that same Pilate, whom he can, who, who condemned Jesus to death, will stand and look at Jesus in the face and be condemned to hell for eternity. Think about that. The roles are going to be reversed. But think about the power of God, Jesus, how He just submitted. Man, I've been like, you know, you, you don't know who you're talking to, buddy. I'm going to smack the lid. That's why I'm not God. Come on. Hello. Come on. I would have had to slap him in the next century. Well, I mean, you've got to be kidding me. He, 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 he just submitted. Submitted. He's under control. When we get mad, I lose control. Jesus stayed under control. He's our example. We need to be more like Jesus. Amen. I can be bombastic. That never does anything good. Amen. What we see here, the Lord crushed him. How, how, how could that be, preacher? How, do you, how could God have done such a thing to His Son? There was a purpose in it. It was the plan of God unfolding. See, has Satan been so smart? The prince of this world? Who's still the prince of this world? He's still running things behind the scenes. If he had been so smart, he wouldn't have let this happen. He'd have kept him off that cross. But have you know Satan's not God? He's not in the same class. <laughs> God did what we call checkmate. How many play chess? You know what I'm talking about? He checkmated Satan right there, and he set up, he set the human race free. See, Christianity is all about, it's all about the cross. It's all about what He did for you and me on the cross. And the Lord crushed Him right there. Crushed Him. Crushed His only begotten Son. Remember last year we talked about Abraham taking Isaac up to the mountain and was going to sacrifice his only son. God told him, put your only son on the wood. It was at the exact same spot God put Jesus. Golgotha. Calvary. Mount Moriah. And Abraham was getting ready to take plugs that night into his only son. And, and God said, stop it. Hold it. Now I know you believe me. And there was a ram caught in the thicket. But the father did not hold back on his only son. He took it to him in full fury, in full force. He hammered his son. He put his judgment on, uh, for sin on his son on that cross. Without mixture, without that, he put the full thing on him. He laid it on him. He crushed him with your sin and mine. He was made, said it made him sick. Look at that, verse 10. 
when you made him a restitution offering. What's restitution? In a court system, that means you pay back, right? Yeah, you get paid back. He became, he, he, he was paid, he was paid for your sin. Roger, everything you ever did wrong in your life. Jesus said, Father, put it on me. I don't want Roger to go to hell. I want to save Roger. Put his sin on me. He had to be God to do that. How could he taste death for every man? Yet he did. By the eternal Spirit of God, he did. When he saw me, he said, Man, I got to take every sin that Jerry Carrick ever did upon myself on this. Father, hammer me with it. And it pleased God to bruise him, to crush him. Please, God. Jesus. Because during that, that, that unthinkable, unimaginable horror and act, God was doing something of the most miraculous nature that principalities, powers, the seraphim in heaven, the cherubim, they look at me and they're like, we can't, we can't comprehend this. What is he doing? What is he doing? We, we know that's the Son of God. We know that's God, the second person of the Trinity. And he and the Father is crushing him. I can imagine heaven must have been just like <gasps> as they beheld this event, Satan and his dark minions were like. Jehovah has lost his mind. And I imagine for just an instant, he was like, I'm winning. I'm going to win. I'm going to beat God. And his son just hung there taking it. Now look, look what it says here. There's a promise in that. He, that is Christ, will see his seed. He will see his seed. He will prolong his days. He was dying. How's he going to prolong his days? How's he going to see his seed? And the will of the Lord will succeed. The will of the Lord, that's Jehovah, will succeed by his hand. The one that's dying, that's being crushed, that's, that's, that's being mocked, and, and that's, that's going to be gone here in just a moment. He's going to be gone. The will of the Lord will succeed by his hand. What, what is God? What is God saying through Isaiah? Verse eleven. He will see it out of his anguish, and he will be satisfied with his knowledge. Think about that for a minute. Oh, oh. I, if not supernaturally helped right now, will be just crying all over this floor. Every time I read that. In preparing for this message, I, I was crying. I couldn't stop crying. Jesus was hanging there, taking upon him the full measure of God's wrath. Do you remember the words in the gospel? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? As that wrath was being poured out, three hours of Agony and torment upon. Was it physical torment? Oh, sure, but it was 
the soul, the anguish of the soul. And what did what did Christ get to see in the midst of that hell that He was taken upon? It. What did He get to see? He saw His seed. He saw God's will. He saw you. And He saw me. Walking with Him in eternity. He saw it and He said, I'm satisfied. Dish it out on me. I'll take it all. Because I see, if He had not done that, you and I would live and die and be in a hell forever and ever and ever. You think this life is bad? This is joy unspeakable. I don't care how bad off it is for you. This is what when you die without Christ and you enter eternity, it's forever. And God said, I delight in standing here and taking their eternal punishment on myself for them so that they can be with me in paradise forever. That's the kind of God we serve. I'm going to take Israel's sin upon me because I'm their Messiah. But not only that, I'm going to sprinkle all the nations. Whosoever will, let it come. I'm going to save the human race through, through my blood sacrifice. Jesus. Hallelujah. In his anguish, he'll be satisfied. Look what it says in the second part of that verse 11. My righteous servant, remember he's the suffering servant, will justify what? Many. He will carry their iniquities. What did Jesus do for you? He carried your iniquities. Hallelujah. He took them upon Himself. Therefore, look what God's Father saying to him now. This is through Isaiah's prophecy. The Spirit of God. Do you, somebody said, you, you believe the Bible? I believe the Bible. You're looking at a man who believes the Bible. Why? Do I believe it so strong? When he said, I'm going to rapture the church, I'm coming, I'm going to do it. I believe it because I've... How can I not? These have already taken place. I mean, when they were written, this was astounding. The people were like, that ain't going to happen. That's crazy. That's way out. That's not going... How could he... But he did it. And the ones that are left unfulfilled, he's going to do it. Somebody say amen. Help me now. He says, My righteous servant will justify many. He will carry their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him the many as a portion, and he will receive the mighty as a spoil. Look at that. Because he submitted himself to death. Look at this here. And he count, was counted with the rebels, yet he bore the sin of many, and he interceded for the rebels. He opened not his mouth, Isaiah said earlier, to the accusations and to the mocking. But yet he was on that cross praying for you. Thank you, Jesus. And he, by the Spirit, could see you in the distance. And therefore he said, it's worth it. I can do it. I can take it. Because I know we have eternity. Spend. And I'm going to justify many, many. Many are coming in by my submitting myself to the Father and taking their sin and carrying it for them. I'm going to justify these. 
And being justified means it's just as if you've never sinned. He's going to take you in as a righteous man into heaven. But you and I are not righteous in and of ourselves. You know that, Rod. I know that. But He is righteous. And He says, I'm carrying your sin so that you don't have to bear the consequences. I took the consequences. If you go commit a crime on earth, you're convicted, you go to jail. You spend time. He paid. He spent your time in hell on the cross. You say, well, how can that be? By the Spirit, because He was God. Three hours with God suffering for your sin was like an eternity for you. And the Father said, I'm satisfied. It's a done deal. He, he, he paid the price. Hallelujah. Somebody say, amen. Come on now. That's good stuff. He paid the price for your sin and for mine. He became sin for us who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Think about that. Man, that's awesome. He was counted with the rebels. They, they said, He's a sinner. Remember the guy, the one thief on the cross? He's a sinner like we are. The other guy, man, don't say that. We deserve it. He didn't do nothing wrong. But the people counted him as a sinner. He get what he, he's getting what he deserved. But here he was praying for the rebels. That's a prophecy. Did you know that's a prophecy right there? What does the Bible say? For, what, he was praying for the sinners. What, what it, the rebels, what it, as they were doing what they were doing, what did, what did, what did, he, what did he say up there on the cross while he was hanging on the tree? He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what no, they're doing. What they do. Was I there specific? Father, forgive. Man, you plucking on, you busting on me, uncle. <laughs> How did he do that? I, I, I looked at him, he's the standard. I could never do that. Thank God I didn't have to. I mean, he did it for me. You talk about a real man. See, we look at Charles Bronson or Clint Eastwood. No, 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 no. Jesus Christ. He was the original tough guy. Come on. You know, as Christians, this is a beautiful chapter we've read today. I mean, it should bring tears of adoration to our eyes when we read it. And give us a strong impulse to worship the wonder of a God who he, who he the sacrifice to which our God stooped in order to make eternal life available for us. So I said I cried so many times just reading this this week. <laughs> like, God, you're awesome. You're an awesome God. Jesus. You know, we need to meditate on this chapter. And it should have an effect on us as God's people. It should put everything in perspective for us, you know. It's Christ who takes away the sin of the world. It's Christ who removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. It's Christ who brings redemption, who carried our sins. Church, we have a message of hope that the world still needs to hear. There are people out there that are dying, that, that Christ died for. And we have this message of reconciliation. It should, if anything, spur us on to evangelization. No matter when Jesus comes for His church, whether sooner or later, He is coming. Don't make 
Make no mistake about that. But we have a mission to accomplish. Jesus had a mission. Notice the principle that we see here in the, suffer, the life of the suffering servant. He gave up and he suffered. And then ultimately glory would come later. The problem with much of the church world today, and it is a very big problem, is that we want our cake and eat it too. We want glory now and no suffering. There has to be suffering in order to be glory. Things are going to get worse as time goes on before they get better in this world. But Jesus said, if you suffer with me, you will what? Reign with me. I don't know about you, I'm looking forward to Him to come. And He promised Israel He would come. And He promises the church He will come to those who look for His appearing. Let's stand this morning. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.